All right, we're in Mark chapter 1. I'm going to take some time in God's Word. Mark chapter 1. We're looking today at what we could call the ministry of Jesus. And here the real work begins in this chapter. We've just been a couple weeks, so I think this is week number three uh, into our study through the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark. And in the first 13 verses, we have kind of a prologue, an introduction, who is Jesus, uh, getting us ready, getting our hearts prepared for the real drama to begin in the verse that we'll be reading today. And so we, we've got this sense of, of who Jesus is. He's been declared from on high, this is the Lord, this is the Savior, this is the Messiah. And we have this, this awesome Trinitarian interaction at the, at the baptism where the Father and the Son and the Spirit all present, all visible audibly and making this grand declaration about who Jesus is. Now, if you look, if you know anything about Israel's history, you know that they, as a nation, they spent 40 years in the wilderness being tested to see where their hearts were at, to see if they would obey God and trust God. God was right there to provide for them, but they're in the wilderness where there's no provision. It's difficult. There's trouble around, and God says, I'm going to be your God, and I'll be with you. Well, they spent 40 years in the wilderness, and it was a colossal failure. They failed completely. They didn't trust the Lord, and they didn't look to the Lord. And so it was all, it was all a fail, and yet here in Mark chapter 1, we've got Jesus out in the wilderness, and he spends 40 days. 40 days in a place where there's no supply, where there's danger all around. And here we have Jesus for 40 days passing the test, tempted by Satan. So doing right what was done wrong in the past. So now we have the good son, the perfect son coming and doing everything right. So now we get to the real drama and we've got Jesus established who he is in his person, his credentials, everything's been laid out. We know we're looking at the right guy. If you've got your eyes on Jesus, you've got your eyes on the right place. This is God's man for this time. And then we move into the actual ministry of Jesus. Now, these first verses of Jesus' ministry are very important, important to all of us. Now, Mark, with his sort of very brief, short, to the point kind of way of describing things and telling stories gives us two things in the verses that we're going to read in just a minute at the outset of Jesus' ministry. That Jesus has a message to bring and Jesus has a purpose for that message. Those are the two points we're going to look at this morning. And I want us to think in terms of both, we're going to see and understand that Jesus is coming and he tells us what his message is and then he goes on to demonstrate and show us what his purpose is with that message. And we want to lay a hold of that. But I want us to also be thinking very personally and very corporately that what we see in Jesus, his message needs to be your message, my message, our message. That's why we're studying this. That's why he laid it out. And his purpose what we see is the purpose of Jesus with his message needs to be your purpose and my purpose and our purpose together. So this is very personal. It's very much about us. Even as a local church, we want to think in terms. We want to be asking this question. As we look at what was Jesus' message, we need to ask the question, is this our message? Is this what we're all about? 
Is this the first thing that comes out of our mouth? Is this the first impression that we give off that this is our message? And then when we look at Jesus' purpose, what he's doing with that message, how he's putting that into practice, we need to ask ourselves, is that what we're about? Is that what we're doing with our lives individually and with ourselves corporately as a church? Is this what we are all about? And so this is how I want us you to view this portion of scripture is very important mark is laying down a couple foundations at the beginning of jesus ministry and it's very crucial that you and i see ourselves in light of this all right let's read the passage together i'm in mark chapter one we'll read just verses 14 through 20 now after john was arrested jesus came into galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe the gospel now passing alongside the sea of Galilee he saw Simon and Andrew the brother of Simon casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and Jesus said to them follow me and I will make you become fishers of men and immediately they left their nets and followed him and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. First, we'll look at the verses 14 and 15 as we're looking at the message that Jesus came with. Jesus begins with a message he calls it the good news of god the good news the gospel in greek euangelion meaning good news what this is talking about is a is a report a piece of news it's a it's a news clipping that's coming in that says something has taken place that is going to transform your life it is a report somebody's bringing a piece of news, a report saying, this is good. This is going to change you. This is for your good. Like summing, someone running up and telling you, the war is over and we've won. That is good news. That is a gospel. Your investment just doubled. Good news. A gospel to you. Or she said yes. Or you got the job. Somebody is reporting something that has taken place. And it's good news. And it's news for you it's news about you it's news that will change you it will it is news that will change the course of your life for good that's what's meant by the gospel good news and jesus first thing first thing out of his mouth he's got himself introduced to the world mark lays it out who is this guy why is he so significant and jesus begins and the first thing out of his mouth is i have come with good news for you well, what is good about this good news he says the time is fulfilled the kingdom is at hand something in this case someone has arrived the kingdom of god is at hand what's going to become clear in time is that jesus himself is this fulfillment of god's good plan so he presents himself he says the kingdom has arrived it's fulfilled it's it's happening whereas before john was 
baptizing and saying, repent for the kingdom is about to come. It's on its way. Jesus shows up and says, it's fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. To use the word kingdom is helpful, though we don't use it much in the common vernacular, but, it, but it's helpful because you immediately get the picture of what it's all about. A king reigning over a kingdom. It is a king reigning, ruling, sovereign over a group of people that are gladly submitted. It's a good king. It's a just king. It's an honest king. It's a powerful king. And he has reign over a group of people. And these people are willingly and gladly and joyfully submitted because this king reigns with love and justice and mercy. And so the people that are under his reign are a happy people because this is a good king and it is good to be in his kingdom. But this kingdom is an unseen kingdom. It is one that is all about the hearts of men and women. It's not about a political boundary. It's not about a geographical location. It's a reign that takes place in your soul. There's a change that takes place inside of you about who you're living for, who you're living under, who you're surrendered to, who is ordering your life, who is reigning over your life. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the kingdom. It's at hand. He has come to bring people back under God's rule and reign. This and the overarching story of the Bible is the problem. Starting back to Genesis chapter 3, it is a rebellion against the reign of God, which introduced, brought in sin, and brought in tragedy, and brought in hardship, and brought in sickness, and brought in decay, and everything went south from that moment. And Jesus comes, arrived, fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand. I've come to restore what's been lost. I've come to bring you back into this kingdom under God's reign. The time is fulfilled. There's a lot of ways to tell a story. And Mark is very brief and sort of to the point. I could tell you a story. You know, when you're interacting with new people, one of the common questions is if if you're a couple, they say, well, how did you two meet? And so I could tell you a story. When my wife Tammy walked through the doors of the church, I immediately fell in love with her and had to wait seven years until it was legal in Michigan to marry her and then married her. There's the story. She came into the church. I was madly in love with her. I got married as soon as I could. That's the story. That's a brief version of the story. There's a lot of things that took place in that seven-year period. Lots of stories. We lost contact for a couple of years. Lots of events happened. But the reason I tell the story, sometimes I tell the story that way, is to make a point. And, and what kind of emphasis do you get from that point? I really like that girl. I really love that girl. I mean, when I saw her first, I was smitten. She caught my eye, never let it go had to marry that girl, was determined to marry that girl, you get the picture. 
And by telling the story so briefly, you lay hold of a truth, not distracted by all the details. And Mark is doing that very thing. He's talking about that in this way, about what Jesus is saying and about what Jesus is doing. Jesus approaches the world and says, first thing out of his mouth, I've got good news from God for you. I have God's good news for you. I, I want to ask you a personal question. Because our study is about knowing Jesus, about knowing Jesus rightly. What do you imagine in your heart and in your mind the words of Jesus coming out to you when you think about Jesus, when you hear about Jesus? I have to tell you, when I imagine Jesus being in glory for all eternity, being in God's holy presence, all perfection, all beauty, everything is right, no sin, everything's glorious, and he says, okay, Father, send me. He's going to come down into the earth, and he shows up on the earth, and he looks around. I'm trying to think, okay, what must that have been like? Now, I'm kind of imagining, not that he doesn't know, didn't know, he knows, but can you imagine walking onto the earth out of being in God's presence? Wouldn't you think, wow, you're really messed up. Wow, you've really gotten off track. Wow, this is really bad. Oppressive government, sick people, people cheating, people lying, people hungry, all kinds of problems. Can you imagine Jesus showing up, seeing all this stuff, how he would respond? And yet the first thing out of his mouth is not, wow, you've got problems. Boy, I wish you'd get your act together. Wow, I wish you'd really clean that up. I wish you'd stop doing that and start doing this. You know, life would really be better if you weren't so much like this or like that. No, he comes first thing out of his mouth. I have God's good news for you. I have good news for you. So what we're after is for you and I to get rid of the false Jesus that we imagine in our minds. Because sometimes... When we think Jesus is approaching us, we're thinking, wow, I really wish you'd clean up your act a little bit. I really wish you would get this a little bit better. Wow, you're really messed up. Wow, do you have problems. That's what we hear. I want you to know that's not what Jesus said. You understand? We want the real Jesus, not your imaginary Jesus, not your perceived Jesus, the real Jesus. And when the real Jesus showed up, first thing out of his mouth, in the midst of a fallen, broken, messed up world with all kinds of problems, he says, I have good news for you. I have God's good news for you. Can you hear Jesus saying that to you? Knowing what you know about yourself, knowing what's going on in your life, knowing the inner conflict and inner turmoil or whatever kind of problems or bad habits you're dealing with in your life, can you imagine Jesus showing up on your doorstep, looking you in the eye and saying, I have good news from God for you. That's his message. If you get that, if you comprehend that, then let me ask you a second question. How do you approach your neighbor? 
Okay, now that you got your life cleaned up, now that your act is all together, now that you've got everything figured out, and then you turn to your neighbor who's all messed up and has all kinds of problems, let me ask you, what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth when you look at them? Wow, they're messed up. Well, I wish they'd get their act together. I really wish they'd stop doing that. And start, you know, their life would be a lot better only if this, that, and the other thing. Jesus came to you, came to me. In the midst of all our problems, says, I have God's good news for you. You and I receive that, need to turn and look to our neighbors with that very same sentiment and that very same message. Do you get distracted with the faults and shortcomings and sins of the people around you? Easily done. Happens often. Let Jesus change you by recognizing the real Jesus came to you first thing out of his mouth i've got something great to tell you something has taken place for your good you're going to want to hear this this is the best news you've ever heard god is up to something god has accomplished something and is good news for you he has a plan he's fulfilling the plan and the result of it is life-changing for you that's the message God has a plan to redeem, recreate, restore what was lost in the fall. And Jesus in his person and who he is has come as the fulfillment to carry out that plan and accomplish that plan. That's the good news. Jesus didn't come and said, I've got some good advice for you. Oh, I've got the instruction manual for life for you. I've, I've, I've come with a list of rules to tell you how to clean up your life, change, stop doing the wrong thing. I've got a list of rules for you. He says, no, I've got good news reporting something that's been done on your behalf that when you hear it, you believe it, it changes you. Second point, Jesus' purpose. Jesus has a message Folks, it needs to be your message. It needs to be our message. This is how we need to think. This is who Jesus is. This is what he says. It needs to be what we say. Secondly, his purpose. He proclaims this message, but to what end? Does he just stand in the middle out there and just shout out, good news from God. I have God's good news for you. Or is there a purpose? At this point, up to this point, everything in Mark's first chapter Everything's extraordinary. Jesus himself, extraordinary person. Declaration over him, extraordinary. The message that he has, extraordinary. Phenomenal message. Almost, you could say, unbelievably good news that we need to believe. And Jesus comes out of the wilderness and begins walking around Galilee, and he encounters some quite ordinary people. This extraordinary man with an extraordinary message starts walking around and encountering some quite ordinary, unsuspecting, minding their own business kind of people. And Jesus speaks to them and says, 
follow me. What a way to change the world. I've got a challenge, a little thought process to, to challenge you. You're going to start a worldwide movement. You're going to change the world. How would you do it? And you're thinking social media. You're thinking advertising. You're thinking all kinds of things. All kinds of grand fanfare-ish kind of, how are we going to get this out to all the nations? And Jesus goes for a walk around the Sea of Galilee, sees a couple of brothers, poor, unsuspecting, minding their own business kind of guys, and it all begins right there. Simon, Andrew, follow me. Can you imagine? Do you know do you know that the fact that we're here, the fact that you're sitting, listening to me, that we're gathering, that we're a church, that we know the Lord, that anything of the grace of God is taking place, do you know that it all started right there? Jesus saying to those two, first two guys, follow me. That's where the plan got started. Everything started in that moment that you and I know of currently, that you and I know of experientially, as Christianity, the reason it got to you, got to me, got to us, was because Jesus went for a walk around that lake, found a couple guys throwing their nets into the water, says, follow me. The purpose of Jesus, the purpose of his message is to make disciples. He goes to find his followers. There's a few basic things about making disciples, Jesus calling the disciples that comes out in these few verses. First one is that Jesus chose those disciples. In verse 17, which we read, Jesus came up to the first set of brothers and said, follow me. Then he gets to the James and John, and immediately it says, he called them. This was not your typical Student, go find a rabbi. Go find somebody to learn from and follow them around and see if their teaching's any good. This was a bit different from the norm. This was the teacher going for a walk, finding people, and calling them. This was the teacher initiating the discipleship process here. And this is the first in a long list of events in the Gospel of Mark that over and over and in a variety of ways and dozens of different ways emphasizing the authority of Jesus. And it all begins right here with Jesus walking up to these guys and simply saying these words, follow me. And they did. And they started following Jesus. This is where I needed to talk about the short version of the story versus the long. There's many other things that could have been told about how these guys, in fact, just to, uh, if you look in John chapter 1, Andrew had a little bit more to the story. Andrew was with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. And so Andrew started following Jesus. So there was more to the story, but Mark leaves it all out because Mark wants to emphasize this point by paring down all the detail to a, just a simple interaction of Jesus showing up and saying, Andrew, follow me. Andrew's response, drop the nets, follow him. Jesus came in a moment, captured these men's hearts. 
And Mark's brevity makes the point. Did you know one of the most affectionate ways that God refers to his people is my chosen ones? There's a lot of ways that God communicates about who his people and to his people, but this is sort of like a, like a, a pet name. A very affectionate way of God describing his people, my chosen ones. Can you imagine? You, could, you, can, you can easily envision like a, a husband and wife, you know, we kind of come up with funny little pet names. This would be a, this would be a good one, although it would probably look a little kind of odd, a little too Christianity, pharisaical, but my chosen one. Can you, can you hear God saying this? This is how God thinks about you. This is how God thinks about me. When he looks at his people, he says, ah, my chosen ones, my chosen ones. Simple sentence. Subject, verb, object. God chose you. God chose me. There's a thousand details in your story. And I've heard most of your stories about how God saved you because I've asked you and you've told me. And there's this and there's that and this happened and then this and then this event and then I had this interaction and God worked through all this and everybody has a fascinating story. But everybody's story can be reduced to three words. He chose me. It's what's common. Every Christian's story, every Christian can tell their story with those three words. Amazing, affectionate way of God referring to his people. Jesus chose his disciples. Secondly, they left things to follow Jesus. So we see Andrew and Simon. Simon is Peter. They left their nets. We see James and John doing the same, and they left their father. To follow Jesus doesn't only mean that we start a new beginning, start a new life. Following Jesus always means leaving something behind. Now, of course, we would know that a new life in Christ means we leave our sins behind. That's a given, but more is going on here. When Jesus calls us to follow him, and it's hard, you can't make a rule out of it, because it's not fair to say necessarily every time anybody becomes a Christian, you have to leave your family and you have to leave your vocation. Certainly not true. Not the case, actually, in most cases. And yet, what has to be the case, in everybody's case, is that you have to be willing to leave everything. Did you think we were going to kind of lower the bar? Let's make it easy to get in here. And, that Jesus, but, and yet, Jesus makes this very challenging statement. He says this, listen to Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, that's a challenging verse. That's a tough statement. How are we supposed to 
interpret that. And actually, you know, we, we, we should really conclude he's not actually wanting us to hate the people around us or to hate ourselves. He's talking about a, a hatred of comparison. When you meet the real Jesus, when you hear the real message of Jesus, when you have that encounter with Jesus, everything else by comparison as as if you hated it. Because knowing him, seeing him, having him is that much greater. So Jesus is saying, if you're not willing to leave everything, you can't be my disciple. Now, that, that sounds like a, like a challenge, like it's kind of like a Christian marine kind of, we're just looking for the few of the best. You've got to be at the top of your game kind of a thing in order for you to be a Christian. I don't really think that's quite what Jesus is saying here. If you can sort of turn it around a little bit and see it this way, I believe what, what the Savior is telling us. Look, if you look at me, and it doesn't so provoke your heart to cause you to be willing to lay aside other things, then I can only conclude that you don't see me truly, that you don't see me accurately. If you did, if we really saw Jesus as he is in Mark chapter 1, if we really saw him at his baptism and saw him in the wilderness, and we we really knew that the voice from heaven thundered and said, this is my beloved son, follow him. If we really saw the real Jesus, then my possessions, my money, my reputation, my career, my family, even my very life would seem as nothing in comparison to him, to knowing him, to having him. Folks, there's no avoiding it. This is true Christianity. Jesus is not trying to lower the bar for us. Jesus is trying to explain to us the reality of it. This is what it means to know him and to see him for who he actually is. They left their nets. They left their family. Again, not a rule. You can just look across the page on your Bible and we'll see Andrew and Simon in Simon Peter's house. Jesus is praying for his mother-in-law. He didn't leave his family. He still had his family. So the rule is not if you become a Christian, you have to quit your job and you go into Christian ministry and otherwise you're, you don't measure up. You have to walk away from your family. That's not the point. The point is, if you know Jesus, it will have such a hold on your heart that by comparison, there's nothing that would compare with him. Thirdly, they're given a new purpose for their lives. When Jesus saw these fishermen, he said, follow me and I will cause you to become fishers of men. They went from being men who fished for fish to men who fished for men. There was a transfer. There was a change. There was a, there was a new 
purpose. And it wasn't to say that they could never fish for fish again. That wasn't the point. But now they had been brought in, chosen, called in, and now a purpose for their life that superseded whatever they did vocationally became their highest purpose in life. It's interesting in the scriptures, the metaphor for fishing there are several references throughout the Old Testament about fishing for men, so to speak. They're not positive. They're always about hooking someone by their mouth and pulling them into God's judgment. Reference after reference, about half a dozen of them. Every time they talk about fishing for men, it's about God pulling people into his judgment, putting a hook in their mouth and drawing them into his judgment. We think of fishing as very relaxing. You sit in your boat, cast your line in. Sounds like a wonderful vacation. It's a retirement dream. Just go fishing, but think about the fish. Fishing for fish is violent. It's deadly. You're pulling them out of their life and pulling them towards their death. That's what you're doing when you're fishing. And Jesus is doing something similar but opposite. When you fish for fish and you pull them out of the water, the fish are dead. They die. They can't survive out of the water. But what Jesus came to do, he came into a world filled with people that are, in a sense, dead in the water. They are without the gospel. They are without the grace of God. They have been separated from God. And so they are on a track towards God's judgment. So now the fishing is turned around. Now it's time to go put a hook in them and pull them out of their destruction and pull them into life. To fish them out of the judgment of God and into the grace of God. That's what Jesus tells these men. Now you're called to do. I want to make you fishers of men you're going to become this you're i'm going to teach you you're going to grow into this you're going to mature in this and you are going to fish out people that are lost in this world and you're going to draw them to me and they're going to experience the new life that i'm given to you Let me close with this to summary to summarize you've been chosen by god we've been chosen by god and it means that we live by a new message there's a good news kind of message that is supposed to characterize the message of our lives when people get to know you and people get to know me whether it's always articulated perfectly or even communicated our lives should send a message We have good news from God for you. When we know the real Jesus, we live with a new purpose for our life. We've been gathered in, and now we, you and I, become part of his gathering in. You don't just get in to be in. You're recruited in to be a part of what he's doing in accomplishing, gathering more people in. No exceptions. Every member, every member is part of making disciples. 
whatever your particular role is in making disciples, that's okay. It varies. We all have different roles and different functions, and we're not here to compare ourselves with one another, but we are here to recognize that every one of us, in one way or another, is part of God's in-gathering. You now have a higher purpose for your life. You thought it was just to get established, have a household, get a home, get your household set up, get your career on track. You had all these things in mind for your life. Jesus interrupts you, interrupts your ordinary life, calls you to himself, and gives to you, assigns to you, this higher purpose. I want to make fishers of men and women out of you. New life message, new life purpose. Have the worship team come on up. Got a couple of thoughts here in closing. When I look at these two things and think about Lord, how we need to apply this, cause me to realize that church, if I could just talk to you, we're, 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 we're facing a unique season as a church. I don't know if you felt it. I say that sarcastically because I know you have. God is upsetting our comfort. The last year has not been comfortable. We're one year into COVID restrictions. We face lots of economic trouble. We've seen some political strife this past year. I won't say it's unprecedented, but it's been big. We've got racial tensions again hitting the headlines. It's significant. It's affecting us. And now, folks, just to talk locally, you're already beginning to see it. Some folks are leaving. We're having to say goodbye to some friends. And there's a few more folks we'll be saying goodbye to. There's a lot of people leaving California. There's a lot of things going on. And I've been pastoring for 21 years, and I've seen times like this before, and I've seen God work in times like this before, but I've also noticed this. Times like these, the souls of the church are vulnerable. There's a bit of a crossroads in, in front of us, and it is potentially a time for some discouragement to set in and for God's people to lose heart. I could say our lives together were quite comfortable for some time, and now it's all unsettled and disrupted, and there's lots of change in the air. Trouble happening, normal flow disruptive, people relocating, people moving, lots of change, a real temptation. It's a, I have to say, it's a hard lesson to learn when God tells me it's not all about me. Have you noticed that? That is not a fun lesson to learn. It's not all about us. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. And yet, it is about something. Okay? It's hard to learn that it's not about me or not about us. But what we need to hear is God saying, but it is about something and it is about me, it is about him, it is about what he is doing.
Tammy and I took a, took a day to go see the ocean. And when we were by the ocean, I saw the, the warning signs about the riptide. I don't know if you've been to the ocean, you've seen this. They give you little instructions when there's a riptide. So a riptide is like a, like a dangerous current in the ocean. It is more powerful than the best of swimmers. So if you are caught in a riptide, you're in danger. It could kill you. It could take you under and you could drown. It's more powerful than you are and therefore it's dangerous unless you simply know how to swim out of it. I saw that picture and I thought, you know, that's the potential, that's the vulnerability that we're at as a church. And if you're too unsuspecting or too unaware of how to swim out of it, the, the riptide can, can get you and, and take you under and drown you. And I hate watching that happen. The solution is not difficult. Don't want to spend too much time on the illustration, but just swim parallel to the shore, okay? That's how you get out of a riptide. This message, when a church goes through a riptide, this is the solution. We get reoriented back to the beginning. What is our message? What is our purpose? We're here with God's good news. We're here to make disciples. That's what we're about. That's what we need to give ourselves to. And when we get distracted with the troubles and the changes and the disruptions and the discomfort of it all, these are the things. This is the swimming parallel to the shore solution for the church. We come back to our message. There are many, many, many people that need to hear God's good news. And you and I need to participate in telling it to them. Jesus is not done making disciples. You and I are all incorporated in part, signed up for, enlisted in his army of making disciples. That's our purpose. Here's the wonderful thing about it. When we stop thinking it's about me, stop thinking it's about us, and really lay hold to what is his message and what is his purpose, and we embrace these things, it ends up being the most satisfying, the most joy-filled way to live your life. You see the principle at work when we try to protect ourselves, protect our comfort, make ourselves more comfortable, we end up, as Jesus said, losing our lives but when we give ourselves for his message and his purpose we gain it all we gain it